I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast. We have a great show for you today. But first, I want to take a moment to thank my co-host here, Matt. Matt, you held down the fort last week while I was out in Australia. And If you guys haven't heard last week's podcast and you are in any way interested in being a creative or working in a creative field, go to our iTunes, go to our Spotify, listen to it. It's sage advice from someone who's been in the trenches, been an artist as long as I've known him, probably longer, his whole life, and is and is making it. I, I listened to it twice just for inspiration. Did you really? I did. I did. And I have <laughs> not I have not taken the, the cold shower thing yet, but I have thought about it. I, I might try it today. I just wait. Uh, the, with winter coming, it gets even better. Well, I'm in Southern California, so it's... <laughs> yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, I'm in Texas right now, and it's about 90 today, so... Oh yeah, it's yeah. pretty warm. The fall is here, but but Matt, that was a great show. Great advice. I, I think I really hope that it, it helps people who are to be inspired, and also do the work because I think that's one thing that sometimes gets lost. And and uh, I think you really masterfully laid out the way to approach being an artist in real life. Well, thanks. Yeah, I I mean I I hope it helps you guys. Uh, I. I don't know how much of it was applicable to everyone or just sort of my situation, but you know, so I mean, like like I said on the show, uh, we're all we're not all that weird, you, you know. It's the internet, so you put something out there, and there's always somebody that can use it. So I hope that helped someone. Absolutely, absolutely. So I wanted to kick off the show with the moment that everyone has been waiting for, and and take a little moment to thank everyone. You know, part of what why we do this show is not just for to give Matt and I the chance to talk every week, but it's to build a community, a community of people who love movies, a community of artists, a community of people who love horror. What we're here to do is open like meaningful conversation and enjoyment and love from people who have a deeper perspective on, on how to create art. And so, you know, every day you guys vote, you guys check into our Instagrams and our Facebooks and you, you let us know who you think is the best horror movie this tournament has had 16 entries, and we are down to the final two. What are the uh, two contenders this week? Let's start out with that. We've we got to know well, what, what's going on there. For those who are, have been tracking us, we have Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and hometown favorite for Matt and I, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hmm. About as, about as two heavies as you could possibly get. Yes, a couple of titans. A couple of, and two very different filmmaking styles, too. Completely. And I think that speaks volumes, you know, like it's funny whenever we've done, say, top 10 list or any sort of sort of listicle, while we all but while you and I like a lot of the same movies, I think we always bring a different approach, which is really fun. Right. It gives the viewers an opportunity to to get different perspectives on films and hope it broaden their horizons. And so, you know, in the Dave bracket, you had The Shining, a movie that is sort of lauded as a film and as a is not only a horror film, but just a masterclass in directing acting, atmosphere, set design, all these things. And then the map pack, you have Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which didn't have that level of uh, praise when it was first released. But since then, through more of a grassroots sort of populist movement, has become uh, obviously one of the greatest horror movies, if not movies in general, 
of all time because for the very reason of how different it is from The Shining and from the standpoint that it's raw, it's dirty, it's grimy, it really introduced... I mean, I think in many ways Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the precursor to found footage films. Oh, yeah, totally. And not that it is. It isn't by any stretch, but because of the rawness of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see that, that the found footage genre kind of wanting to try to achieve that and just going to the logical conclusion of it. Um, it's And it's, it's crazy because a film like Chainsaw Massacre, you would think could become some kind of cult classic, maybe something like that, you know, a genre film for the people who are really into that stuff. But everybody knows the title of that film. Everybody, you know, before even before they made the, the remakes and the sequels later on, everybody growing up, it was it was always kind of stood out as like this um, kind of this ultimate horror film, especially when we were kids. Like Absolutely. you were you were kind of like um, you had if, if you had seen that movie when we were kids, you had this like badge of honor. You know, it was like you that kid well, seen like the ultimate horror film. He's seen Touch Chainsaw well, Massacre. Yeah, and not only that, but growing up, I think we've mentioned this before on the show, I thought it was real, or I'm based on a real story. You know, I thought that the Sawyers were like a real family out in Round Rock, Texas, and they just made a movie about that story. And it wasn't until years later that I realized I was inspired by Ed Gein. It was largely fictional, but growing up, I mean, at least for me, I always assumed that those were based on real some real life scary events it's pretty interesting too because i don't think that the film it doesn't say anything like that does it is it it's not one of those ones that at the beginning like far like fargo have you ever seen fargo how they're like yeah, the following right. tales are true and that's it's completely false they just say no that. but but there but but texas chainsaw massacre has sort of a a magic to it in which you know you, are you familiar with the mandela effect uh yeah i i've heard about this uh where the people believe that because they remember something a little different from everybody else. They're from an alternate universe. Uh, n- no, it's not quite. I mean, maybe. But but that, that's not generally what the Mandela Effect is. The Mandela Effect is more the strange phenomenon where a large group of people swear they remember something one way that, in fact, never occurred. Right. Like right? named after Nelson Mandela because a lot of people, mostly white uh, people, seem to think that he died in prison in the 80s. Exactly. Which he did. Of course, he did not. Of course. Um. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a little bit of that in which people remember it to be far more gory than it actually is. And like me, there are people who seem to think that it was based on real events. Um, I, yeah, I don't know what it is about it. I guess it was just so gritty, so realistic and such crazy shit does happen in Texas. We've always kind of been like the devil's playground in a way. I, I've always kind of seen, you know, we're a hard, hot land full of animals and plants that want to stab you and poison you and and yeah everything everything well, here well, has coming... claws and fangs and needles uh so it just kind of made sense that like of course uh and then chainsaws are like the scariest tools so it just made sense that of course if that must have happened absolutely absolutely and then on the complete opposite end you have the shining this slow mu- moving artistic it, it's like every frame is a painting the score the performances i mean there's yeah. there's layers and and deep deep dread embodied in every frame of that film a completely different environment a a snowy mountaintop hotel away from everything up in the north we you know we've got a bit of a north versus south thing going here today too but by the way yeah, a, little bit. A, a little you know totally on accidental but uh yeah, it's kind of funny too but anyway yeah uh shining is a completely different ambience completely different feeling it's um 
where it's 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 a build to chaos. It's it's a loss of sanity, whereas Chainsaw is a uh, just a you know drop in a frozen pond of madness. You know, it's, it's just immediate shock. It's a frenzy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, without further ado, let's get into the winners. All right. So, you know, I'm actually somewhat surprised. The the it is nearly the winner nearly doubled the votes that our that our runner up got. Wow. And uh, nothing to take away from the runner up. I, I just found that, that 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 sort of worked out in a very interesting way, and uh, it's almost exactly two to one. Um, our runner up, a movie that is near and dear to our heart and and to the people. This is the people's choice in some ways, but our runner up in this tournament is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hey, not too shabby. Not too. Sixty nine votes. Sixty nine votes, which would make our winner. The greatest horror movie of all time, or according to you, our listeners, Stephen King's Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, with ironically 138 votes. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. Explain to the audience Listen, the 138 listen. thing. Oh, well, it's just, uh, I just think it's funny because, you know, I'm sure if you guys are listening to us, you're probably big punk and horror fans. And of course, there's that famous misfit song, We Are 138. And apparently, The Shining is 138. It is, <laughs> it is you guys' winner. It is the horror goat. It is the choice, the chosen one, the greatest horror movie of all time. So were, there, were there any films that you, vote, that you voted for that didn't make it that you really. Lots of them. What, well, what was one of the ones that you wanted to see, but didn't make it i oh man that's i mean i would have loved i would have loved prince of darkness to to go further yeah it's, just, it's my favorite horror film um uh and i and i sort of intentionally slated it against the omen which is like my second hor- favorite horror film um bram stoker's dracula is as much difficulty as i've had over the last few weeks pronouncing that correctly without uh butchering the title that is it's kind of like the shining in a lot of ways and that's just like this beautiful film yeah um, would have loved to have seen Hellraiser. I mean, you know, I, I can't pick. It's like it's hard to choose, you know, especially when they're like the my bracket, especially because I, I, I love them all and it's really hard to pick one. So sometimes I would pick for one movie over and then the next day I'd pick the other movie because I couldn't decide really. Yeah, I, um, I, I, as far as me, I'm just glad to see Evil Dead win as far as it did. I just thought that was really cool because... A little uh, bit of validation there. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, we have a really cool audience that likes good movies. That's how I feel. Hell yeah. <laughs> this, th- I think that if this Tournament of Terror has taught us anything, it's that the Grindhouse community is pretty damn kick-ass. So we thank all of you. Yes, thank you so much. So Matt, you and I, well, last week for me and just today for you, went to the movies. That's right. I, I just got back from the movies. Literally moments ago. And uh, what we saw was Todd Phillips the Joker. Yes. The, that... Which I I know that we're not strictly a horror podcast although we do tend to lean that way especially now during the spooky season. Yeah. But um the one of the reasons why I I kind of asked you to see it after I saw it was there it's a different kind of horror. And and you know last week again sort of ironically we got asked like what our favorite horror clowns were and I don't know, man. You know, I think Joker's pretty scary in some real world ways. I, I don't know what your feeling was. I mean, it's very fresh for you. Like, what was your feel? What is your feeling walking out of the theater? Oh, I really enjoyed it. I didn't get any sense of a horror movie from it, but um, 
I, you know, I wanted to, what I wanted was I wanted to see the origin of how this very dangerous villain came to exist. And, and I got a great story explaining, a, you know, one possible way. Cause you know, there's with a character like the Joker, there's so many different origin stories. That, yeah. It's multiple. Yeah. His, his history is multiple choice. Absolutely. And I thought to quote Alan Moore. Yeah. This was right up there with Alan Moore's. Uh, or this was, this was in fact, this was be- the killing joke. I guess was Alan Moore's version of uh, yep. Joker origin. Yep. And I thought this was way better and way more believable. I mean, this was, this was like, uh, it was, it was a slow, logical progression uh to you know of a, of a man that's just beaten down by society he's got a lot of issues some mental issues like actual physi- physiological mental issues right and right. um and and seeing him become the that ultimate nihilist uh you know that 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 crazy dangerous clown of the joker uh and all the little explanations you know so many of these origin films it's like um they just load them up with stupid easter eggs and uh really half-ass explanations for why they have a certain trait but uh, like i don't i don't know how much we want to spoil but the you know the joker's laugh has always been this like really unrealistic ah you know kind of crazy laugh right right and they had this this man has a mental condition where he it's like a nervous thing where he can't help but laugh and which is a real, which is a, which is based on a real um, affliction. Yes, yes, it is. There are people who have that they get their crosswire. It's almost like when he should be crying, he laughs, and that that laughter at those points, it's it's not that Joker laughter. It's that's like really intense but very genuine laughter. It's when people tell jokes that he knows he should be laughing at. That's when you get right. that like ha 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 ha, you know, because it's him. It's forced. Yes, it's it's him trying to emulate real laughter which he's but he he's so offset from the rest of society that he, he can't really participate in that thing like he like when he goes you know he goes to see a stand-up comedian he's laughing at all the wrong moments with his fake laugh but just that little you know explanation of why the joker laughs what the 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 what do you call it like the token joker laugh like where that came from was just a really cool right. way to explain that and, and the movie's just full of stuff like that i was really yeah. really pleased man I, I equate it very similarly to how Chris Nolan um, decided to explain the, the Joker's grin. You know, he's got sort of the uh, – what's the uh, – there's a specific name, the the, Gra- the Glasgow smile. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, try to try to infuse a little bit of realism. It's so funny because right going into the movie, and I think I had a rant about this a couple of weeks ago, was sort of the, the, the Martin Scorsese's comments on, on comic book movies, right? Yeah. And, I think if you've seen Joker, you can realize um, that Todd Phillips drew a lot of inspiration from the movie, uh, from from Scorsese's movies, in particularly The King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. Oh, absolutely. I, I think at one point he he asked Martin Scorsese to be a producer uh-huh. on the film, but he was busy doing The Irishman. Um, and you know there was such a backlash to what Scorsese said about comic book movies being amusement parks and. Yeah. What and you know people be, were being really dismissive. He's an old man. He's out of touch, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that what you just said about origin stories lands on why I generally agree with what Scorsese said, which is that if you look at like how many times have we seen Spider-Man's origin stories, or even Batman as a as, as a title character, or you know any of the Marvel characters, it's like it's there, and it sort of plays on your nostalgic or your pre-existing knowledge of the origin, and you just it plays to let you see it play out. But it's not very 
it's not very layered and oftentimes there's large leaps of faith and they just assume that you're going to like it because you're a fan of the comic and you just want to see it in any form that doesn't completely suck. Oh yeah, I, I think one of the things that was really rewarding for this film, uh, so many times when you see the Joker, he's just got all these henchmen with him because naturally villains have henchmen. You know, and right. they have like if it's the Riddler, he's got guys with a question mark on their sweater. You know, it's right, and, and, and it's just uh, what are they paying these people? I mean, they they put an ad out in the paper. How they find them, and to kind of yeah. um, where where the Joker, it's almost like he's like kind of a bit of like a cult leader. You know, these people would like die for him, and they they're they're so, so devoted. And for this film to go in and give a really good reasoning behind why this guy would be such an iconic figure that he would be able to have cult-like followers that they're not just henchmen they're like followers man and that was right. a really well, cool thing very, too it's very much he's very much in this movie a, a cult personality um unintentionally but i think it speaks to sort of the underlying unrest that comes in class warfare which this film touches on um i don't know if it's always super successfully i i I will say that that some of its understanding of class war, warfare feels a little bit like freshman year uh, poli sci, but but I think it was really trying to get across this idea that if you push people down far enough, there is an opposite and equal reaction, and I don't think that it validated Joker's reaction or the violence that ensues, but I do think it should make us question how far you can push someone before they push back. Oh, well, yeah, there's there's all that. I, but what, what I liked about it is it didn't make Joker into some kind of a terrorist for a cause. Uh, you know, Joker's, the, the class warfare thing you're describing was, was kind of a side effect of what was just sort of happening in the society at that time. And um, Joker doesn't really put himself at the forefront as like a hero of this movement. He just kind of gets chosen for that. It's, I mean, for him, it's all personal. He has, well, and actually no I, real... I would say more to the point, he's, he's not just not the figurehead of it or the, or the forefront of it. He's a direct symptom of that, of what's going on in that society of the time. I, I, I hear what you're saying a little bit, but I, I don't quite like the um, idea that it's society's fault that the Joker was created. I, I mean, there are a lot of people who have really bad things happening to them all the time and they're unhappy and they don't think the solution is hurting people. So, right. you know, there, well, there's that because that, that was one of the, my concerns going into the film was like, you know, was Todd Phillips responsible enough when in creating this, did, you know, that he didn't make some kind of blanket excuse for um, psychopathic violent behavior you know because uh, that was a lot of people worried about that that there was going to be these like yeah. incel kind of thing right going, yeah that's me and 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 this is what you deserve and this is what happens well here's my feeling on that because i did want to talk about even maybe more so than the movie because it is pretty new i want to talk about people's reaction to it and i think you're right like if you if you follow twitter and if twitter means anything at all which it doesn't <laughs> there are a lot of people that were worried about and I, honestly I don't know that a lot of people were worried about it. I think there was a lot of fear mongering for clicks happening. Yeah. I think there were a lot of irresponsible quote unquote, I'm using the air quotes journalist using fear mongering and trigger words and preying on the fears that the public has in order to get them in order to exploit them for clicks and money. 
and and I I saw it, you know, because the very very first um, reviews of the Joker was that it was like amazing, and then shortly thereafter there there was these these all these critics, these film critics, and usually lower down the totem pole or real self righteous. Like if you look at their other tweets, you can you can tell they're like they're like they're make. Uh, I'm not one of these people who uses the word white knighting loosely, but there are people out there, especially in the media, that make money off of white knighting. Just, just like there are people in the media who make money being the black hat, right? Like, they're playing you on both sides. And I saw a lot of that. And I saw a lot of people using this as an opportunity to get you riled up and scared that the Joker was going to come and some, someone was going to shoot up a theater. And you could almost you could almost feel through their words, their giddy excitement, hoping that it will happen so that they can be validated and they could write article after article about, See, this is why movies create violence. Yeah. This goes all the way back to like, you know, the PMRC and you know, heavy metals, uh, the work of the devil. And it's all the same bullshit that we've heard for decades. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And, and that is terrible that you that there were people out there writing stuff like that. But I, I mean, the, there was one that uh, there actually was one uh, article that I read that I kept thinking about while I was in the theater because we were. You know, I, I went to uh, so we could do so I could see it before the show. I went to a very early showing, so there wasn't a lot of people in the right. theater with me, and um, so you know, you, you you become when I've described it before in the show when you when you're in a small theater with just a handful of people, you become very aware of everyone. And um, I had read this article about this man that uh, he was. It was like at the I guess at the point of the film where where Joaquin Phoenix kind of transforms into Joker the man just started laughing hysterically and wouldn't stop and just loudly laughing. And, um, I, I have a thing when I watch films where I, I laugh sometimes at, at seemingly inappropriate scenes. And it's not that I'm mm-hmm. enjoying some macabre thing. I, I just get impressed and I laugh. I go, wow, they pulled it off. Wow. I'm, I'm really impressed right. by that scene. And I just kind of laugh out of like, being impressed i'm just like wow it's amazing haha good good for you and uh so i noticed throughout the the show today uh in this small theater with maybe 10 people i was the only one laughing uh like (laughs) for a lot of those scenes and i started thinking oh boy am i am i that guy you know are they are they getting a little worried about this guy in the blue sweater over here you know well that's exactly my point man like did anyone talk to that guy First off, how can you even validate this Appar- claim? No, apparently people did talk to him. Like, hey, you're ruining the film. You, you, shut up. No, no, and, no, no. And no. He, like, someone writing stop, an article. You know? Yeah, yeah, that, that's hearsay. That's That sounds like a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> it's like people saying they saw aliens. Okay. Did, did, did a reporter, because this is the way things used to be done, because it was, it was, it was by law you had, to, you had to actually, you know, have some validations for your claims or, or suffer real consequences for it. Did someone reach out to the man and get a quote for him and ask him why he was laughing at the Joker scenes? Or did some person tweet some other quote unquote journalist on Twitter and fabricate the story that may or may not be true or may or may not be embellished or may or may not be embellished due to the the fear that was perpetrated by the reviews going into the film that maybe made people like I'll give you an example. Hold on, I just thought of something like so horrible, man, like. The film's about a guy that has a psychiatric, a psych, psych, psychiatric, <laughs> psychiatric disorder that causes him yes. to laugh uncontrollably. What if the guy in this article, like, what if someone was like, "Hey, man, there's a film 
that's in theaters right now and, and it, it has your disorder in it. You should go see it. I mean, people are going to finally start understanding what you go through. So he's in the theater all excited, like, I'm finally being represented. Yeah. And then his disorder starts acting up and they kick him out of the theater and write an article about him and put it all over the internet. Or what if he just <laughs> thought the film was dumb? Maybe he just thought the film was fucking stupid well, the, and he's sitting there watching this clown makeup and he thought it was dumb and he laughed no, I mean, at it. it. Wasn't, but it wasn't like, like he just laughed. I mean, he, he would how do we know? Well, no, I mean, this is the article. It was like verified. Right. I mean, there were witnesses and they had to call security. But like apparently he just mm. kept laughing loudly and wouldn't stop. And what I'm saying is like, how horrible would that be if he actually had that condition? And then here's a film trying to kind of get some sympathy for that condition and they kick him out of the theater. <laughs> I don't I'll, know. I'll tell you what, man. Th- this is my general feeling on it. You said something earlier that that I think really sort of hits to the key, which is that you felt uncomfortable with the idea that society is to blame for, I'm paraphrasing, but society is to blame for this behavior. And I think that a lot of people share that uncomfortableness. And I think that that uncomfortableness is, is a little bit of us not wanting to take accountability as though somehow mental illness or the, the, the rough conditions that, that, Parental abuse, sexual abuse, um, again, mental illness can play. I think that people feel uncomfortable with this idea that that and listen, I don't think anyone should be pushing back in a violent manner. But I do think that we have to take a little bit of accountability on how we treat people and the conditions that make people scrape by and live inhumanely. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there, there is. You know, a lot of people out there suffering, and uh, and some some people can, but uh, you know, at the same time, uh, it, you you can't always help everyone, and and you maybe you need you know uh, maybe because even people who look like they're doing well and look like everything's kind of going well for them, they're suffering in other ways, and maybe they you know they just don't have time yeah, to, to help people, and so you just yes, but I I think there's a very specific affliction that is that that we're dealing with in, in what should be a first world country yeah. where you know again i'm not trying to get terribly political but it is relevant to the movie where we're in like in the movie there's a there's a garbage strike going on they never get deep into it but why do people typically strike uh, because they're not getting enough money their needs aren't being met and they're, they're working too hard correct so you have thomas wayne this billionaire strutting around talk about running for mayor he's basically a donald trump figure oh, totally trump and yeah, that was uh, that to me that was like yeah he's trump <laughs> like that was obvious. yeah 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. yeah and 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 what you had was these people literally living in filth yeah because Super rats i think that was one of the terms of the film <laughs> yeah this, which i was actually just, if i have a, if i have one main criticism of the movies that i didn't see more of the super yeah. rats <laughs> that would have been great <laughs> but um you know the the, the 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 society that created the Joker that that turned Arthur Fleck from just this guy to the Joker is one of abuse, is one of cut funding for social services, is one of he's literally living in vile trash, and again this does not excuse um, stalking his neighbor or being violent or murder. This is not an excuse for any of those things. But I do think that we have to take a very honest look about the society that we build and what kind of people it produces. Because to turn a blind eye and say, well, I don't want to imagine that that's a possibility in this world where people get poorer and more desolate every day might potentially spring forth someone who's violent. Like, that's silly. There's a direct correlation between poverty and crime. 
Ergo, if you allow a society to exist with rampant poverty, there's a natural reaction to increased crime. Well, that's true. Uh, it, it's just, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, uh, but you know what could be done about it at at this point, uh, because it seems to me that um, if if things really are that tough all over, uh, people are going to kind of just seize whatever opportunities they can get, you know, and and maybe people who realize they, you know, even even people who come from like really rough origins, uh, poverty, things like that, when they, you know, sometimes when they get on top, they they know how hard it is uh, if they go back, so they they just don't do anything to risk it. And uh, course, it's, it's just, I mean, I, I think what you're describing is just a lot of stuff that humans are just going to be doing for a while. It's the kind of stuff that it's like juggling. It's like uh, uh, playing an instrument. It's like, you don't just make the right decisions and instantly get better at it. Humanity has got to keep just practicing and trial and error. And we just are slowly progressing and hopefully we'll progress fast enough to get on top of all these problems before we go insane and kill each other and in the whole civilization. But, uh, that's, that's the kind of way I see it. So when I watch a movie like Joker, I don't really think it's like, Oh, this is a big social statement about all we're doing wrong. I, I think it's just, Hey, look, here's the world naturally, as we all know it. And here's how this guy became the Joker. Well, and again, I think we could have a whole different discussion on the merits of the movie as, as it was executed. And does it actually convey what it was attempting to convey? If it was even attempting to really convey that in the first place, because I haven't heard from the filmmaker one way or another, what their real intent was other than to make a good movie. Right. But I do think it goes to the broader conversation about what the role of superhero movies can be. And we've talked about this in the past, right? We've talked about how Grant Morrison describes superheroes as our, our modern day gods, right? And if you look at like Greek mythology and you look at like Christian mythology and Norse mythology, all these tales of the gods all serve as parables for whatever was going on at the time, right? Like uh, you look at the Old Testament, the, the, the edict not to eat pork. Well, was there salmonella going on? Were they unable to cook pork in a, in, a, in a meaningful way? So they said, hey, God says no, so don't do it because you're dying. You're getting sick, right? I don't know. I mean, there are exceptions, of course. And I think this really goes to Martin Scorsese's point. Are we utilizing these figureheads to actually shine, to, show, to, to hold a mirror up to society to get something a little bit deeper? Or are we just on a, on a roller coaster? Are we just in an amusement park? Candy and soda and cheap thrills, all for a premium buck. Oh, I think in this case he would be wrong. I hope Martin Scorsese does see this film because I think he'd really he'd get something out of it. I think I think he'd also feel like he you know get should get a check out of it too because they really they they really <laughs> did borrow a lot from his his stuff. Some of his pretty classics, heavy, yeah. But was that was so cool to? But I, I don't think they borrowed in the way of like you would consider it anything less than a tribute. I mean, the because you brought hey, up King the, of Comedy is, and nobody talks about King of Comedy. And right, that and like, was almost, like, is, I mean, there were parts where it was like, De Niro is, this is so cool that it was De Niro because he was the one that was obsessed with the late night host in the King of Comedy. And then seeing this reversal where here's a crazy person and he's, yeah, that was great to see that. I think that was well, a tribute to Scorsese. I'll, well, not only that, but it's it's pulled directly from the comic books. I don't remember if it is Dark Knight Returns or Dark Knight Strikes Again, but there is a scene in the comic book where Joker ends up on a um, 
on a talk show, a late night uh, talk show. I think it's supposed to be a stand-in more for Conan O'Brien, okay. maybe. But uh, and again, I don't want to spoil too much. But like, go read that comic book scene, and then go watch the movie, and you're like, oh, that's a direct. That scene is nearly directly lifted from the source material. You now, in the comic book scene, he's probably already the Joker, though. Like people know him. Yeah. Yes. So that was. I thought that was a really cool thing to have this. Uh, at that point, it's like we know he's the Joker. But no one else right. does, and you've got him sitting right next to you. Because to me, the Joker is well, like he is—he's that guy. I mean, there are so many scenes from the comic books, the uh, the films going back, of him just randomly shooting some henchman next to him on a whim. He he just kills. He's like he's so right. dangerous, and and in this like chaotic. A way uh, where because he thinks that's jokes, he thinks that's funny. He's got a different sense of humor than the rest of us, and to see that the the growing of that and how it was formed and why he's that way, and and then to see it acted out in a film like this on this level of oh man, I I just didn't know what to expect. So Todd Phillips, I mean, looking back at his uh, you know his portfolio, you've got like what. Um, the, the hangover, the hangover movies, movies uh, that pro- Project Old X, school. where they threw the big house party with all the college kids. Right. I mean, <laughs> where did this come from? But in a way, it's perfect because the Joker movie, and, it, and like I said, I, I wasn't, I'll admit, I wasn't just laughing because I was impressed. I mean, there were some really dark, dark jokes, but funny jokes in the film. It was funny. Right. And uh, by giving well, it to him, it, I think that was a great idea that like this, this shouldn't be Christopher Nolan. This needs to be someone that knows how to laugh. Correct. Well, not only that, but like there, there was all this hand wringing that occurred. Oh my God, what is he doing with the Joker? It's, it's, it, dude, it's like, it's like as though, as though people have never read any story of the Joker before. There's a scene in the movie where he tells a, a very frightened person, "I had a bad day," which is a direct pull from the Killing Joke. Which, by uh. the way, in that story, in that story of the Killing Joke, which came out what in the eighties, okay. He cap- he captures Commissioner Gordon. It insinuates that he sodomizes him. He shoots his daughter and paralyzes her. And while while he's showing Commissioner Gordon, who's all strapped up in bondage gear, like the photos of her his daughter bleeding yeah, he, out. He and this is a dark movie. He shoots. He just he's dressed like some kind of old man on a vacation he's got like a hawaiian shirt on and a the the little camera and he just knocks on her front door and when she opens it he just shoots her in the spine with a pistol (laughs) and then as she's writhing on the ground he takes her clothes off down to her underwear and then just snaps photos of her so he can show her dad later (laughs) while he's got while, while her while her dad commissioner gordon is in bondage gear with some very heavy um insinuation as to what has been occurring and and see that's the thing he does this all for the purpose of proving because he he believes if he puts because he puts him on like a it's like an amusement park uh horror ride thing that he puts him on and as he goes through it all tied up like you're talking about there's there's the photos of his daughter blown up like six feet tall of her bloody and stripped and in pain Uh, because joker has this belief that he can make people as crazy as him and he thinks that all it takes is exactly. one bad day. And he thinks that when Commissioner Gordon comes out the other side, he's going to be corrupted and insane and it doesn't work. And that's the thing about the Joker is he's he's got this nihilistic view. He's insane. He thinks everything's a joke. Nothing matters. And he's always wrong. 
And I think in this film, it's the right. same. I don't, I don't think that they did any irresponsible thing where anybody could, I mean, obviously if you really want it, you could have, this as your inspiration for why you're stalking some girl and you're going to slash your tires or whatever, sure. whatever incel weird thing you do. But, but, but you know this what? film, they, people had ins- they, they kept it. They kept that yeah, sense people- that the Joker is wrong, that his point of view is not right. it, justified. He, th- there are people who have shot people over uh, the catcher in the rye. Really? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, what was uh, it? Yeah, wasn't, right. uh, the assassin, the, the guy that tried to kill Reagan. That's what you're thinking. It wasn't. Uh, was it Reagan or John Lennon? Oh, was it John Lennon? Uh, I don't know. I, I thought I thought it was the Reagan the guy that shot uh, Reagan. Yeah. Regardless, like, people, listen, if someone's going to, pr- if, if someone is going to create a violent act, if they draw inspiration from a movie or a book or a record, that is what it is. But again, this goes to my point. What we should be really concerned about, you know, those that movie or that book or that or that album didn't create violent tendencies. The society and the conditions in which, which this person grew up created violent tendencies. That movie might have given them a little flair, but we what we what we need to do is face what we are uncomfortable with, which is that we live in a society comfortably that that is that exploits our comfort is due to the exploitation of those who are uncomfortable and downtrodden. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that. I, uh, yeah. People taking advantage of each other. That's unfortunate. I think time will tell on this one. I think that this was a real, a real shot. And again, it borrowed heavily from Scorsese films and, uh, you could do a whole, again, you could do a whole different class on, on execution. And is it a little, self-righteous doesn't insist upon itself a little bit here and there but what i'd like to see is i'd like to see for people to watch this and make up their own mind on it just give it some thought because the greatest movies make you think afterward and the fact that it's like when we watch midsummer right uh-huh. you walked out of midsummer and you're like oh, i gotta think about this for days and i'm just impressed by the fact that a comic book movie is this has been now, now about a week and a half is still making me think about it and I would love to encourage people. And I know a lot of people like James, people whom I respect, like James Gunn, you know, um, got really hurt that Martin Scorsese said that comic book movies were not really cinema and they were really more like uh, amusement parks. But I would like to say and, and, and issue a challenge to filmmakers out there who are making these big blockbuster movies. If your movie isn't making people stumped, about how they feel about the message behind it. I don't know, man. Maybe maybe it's not doing the best. Maybe it's not really serving its maximum functionality. Yeah, that is that is one thing. Uh, having just seen the film hours ago, I really haven't had a chance to think on it yet or sleep on it or just really reflect on what I think about it. And I got a feeling that over the next few days, I am going to be really going back to that and thinking about what I, you know, what I left that theater with. Because like, it was, man, I just... It was such a cool adaptation of a comic book. It it wasn't because it it was and it wasn't though. You know, it wasn't exactly an adaptation. It's not like that. It's not like what we right. saw in that film. Like oh, it's issue issue thirty six and issue thirty eight of Batman or something. That, that doesn't exist. It was uh, it was its own thing. But um, it was it was it was weird. It was sort of like a. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of an example of like a film that took a, a subject matter and just, you know, completely, I mean, a- almost like as different from Joker as the Mario brothers movie was from the game. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but, but kind of in that way where they just took whatever liberties they wanted, they just made the world and they just 
had their own thing. Yeah, I shouldn't have used that example somewhat. because the Mario movie was <laughs> terrible. But it was a uh, it did, it did feel like uh, the filmmakers were just they they had an understanding that they could just tell a good story and not feel constricted by trying to stay near a narrative. Okay, okay, more more like doing the right. movie and doing the book. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yes. it's more like it, that. You know what yeah. it was? What it was was a filmmaking approach to a classic story we all yes. know. And that's what cinema really should be. I mean, look, cinema's ex- there's no one way that cinema should be, but it, but how many times have we seen this? Like we you have this 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 rich fertile content to draw from and we're not treating them like gods we're treating them like toys These are, we're treating them like advertisements what i'd love to see like did you ever read like a grant morrison's all-star superman oh yeah that was a blast where he got, kind of goes through yeah, all the uh the major story arcs uh, issue by issue uh that was really yeah, cool can, stuff can we get superman who is essentially a god on earth can we get a movie that makes us walk away from that movie like we did joker Probably not. Uh, Joker's unique, I think. Well, that's that, a, that's that, unfortunate. I, well, I think that was a I rare opportunity. I think that they, whoever, you know, got that idea, wherever it originated from, I, I, don't, I didn't do enough research, but I just think that was a unique opportunity because that character specifically, his origin can be that. Because I was thinking like, what, what, you know, what if next the studio has some wild idea, you know, if you liked the origin of Joker, you're going to love the origin of Two-Face. You know what I mean? Uh, Two Face, okay, right? But, Would that but, work but, for you, or, or yeah, Catwoman, yeah, or but, something? Well, I, mean, I don't know, man. You put it in the arms of a masterful, masterful filmmaker, and maybe, like, okay, let's just take Two Face for example. Let's just let's just take how we could do Two Face in a way that has a little bit of like depth, yeah. right? A person who is struggling with the idea of order and chaos, a criminal justice system that is corrupt, that doesn't actually put bad guys away that penalizes innocent people. I mean, you could do a whole section of, you could do a whole movie. If you took like Law and Order SVU yeah. and you made a Two-Face movie with that tone, <laughs> I'd watch right, the hell out of right. it. Uh, do Poison Ivy. Okay, Poison, an environmentalist. <laughs> You've got uh, Greta up in there getting all this feet flat, you know, this blowback from conservatives and she's just trying to save the earth and you got in, in the in the poison ivy movie you've got all these conservative people saying that she's a plant not not literally a plant but like you know like, like an actor like a, that happens a lot yeah, she, oh just yeah. an actress like that greta thornburg she's an actress you hear that yeah. all the time from right. old white men yeah yeah uh, okay do you poison ivy movie with that sort of thought in your okay. mind and what what yeah, do you get an environmentalist from it? story okay wow you're actually pulling this off better than i thought you would you know batman is a god amongst men how does he view men how does he look at us i mean alan moore kind of touched on it with dr manhattan but like what does it mean to be what does it mean to be human what does it mean to have human characteristics what does it feel to be an outsider who doesn't connect and i know brian singer kind of tried to do it and ended up with like emo superman but these stories are are modern stories of gods and we're doing them a disservice by not using the full plane for like give me david lynch and any comic book character and let's just see what we get yeah i'm give down. me like give me like david lynch uh and the flash mm. a man who's running out of time you know Maybe. <laughs> like who knows i'm excited i'm here for the flash it. is kind of i've always thought he was kind of lame but but yeah maybe you're right i don't know um matthew mcconaughey as the flash what? directed by david lynch well 
this has been a sort of a review of the Joker of, of sorts. We've a discussion, a review. I hope we didn't spoil too much, but uh, since we did have some some elements of to. review in here, I think we should give it our our signature oh, yes. Tusk rating. What have you got, Dave? Man, I would hate. I'm a little. I'm gonna give it four and three quarters. Three quarter tusks, tusks don't exist. I'm gonna call that a five I tusk, do. and that's what I'm gonna give it to. Okay, it's all right, it's I'll a five. It five it's tusk. worthy of a five. Yeah, it's a five out of five. It's great. Five, five stuff. It's so good. You know, any I don't I can't remember the last comic book movie that made me walk away from it and think on it for weeks afterward. I mean, that's just it's just good. It's just good cinema. It is just good. So when did filmmaking. you see it? Did you see it the day it came that. out? No, I saw it. I mean, I saw it in Australia. Um, maybe a few. Days. I don't. I don't know when it came out. I think I. I think I shot like after opening weekend on like a midweek or so. It's like a week. So it's from been about ten days ago. since you've seen it. Yeah, and something you, and that's like that. cool. And you've been thinking about it the whole time. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's so. That's good filmmaking right there. That's definitely five out of five tusks, if you ask me. Because like, that's you. You want to leave the theater with something, and uh, I think this film will leave you with something, man. You're you're gonna enjoy it. It's so well made. Uh, there's no, there, there really wasn't any part of it that I could say I could have done without. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, well, yeah. Well, I, I was gonna Very say cool. too. Like uh, we um, moving on. Uh, since The Shining is the winner of our tournament of terror, um, there's a sequel coming out. Yes, that's the. I'm very excited about that. I read the book and it was fantastic, and I saw the trailer today. uh, Finally, when when I watched uh, the Joker, and man, that looks good. Yeah, it's funny because the first couple of trailers that came out, I was a little like, you know, because Stephen King. I've said this before. He it's really hit or miss to to take what he does in the book and make it a and make it a film. You know, you have The Shining, which is a masterpiece. And then you've got movies like um, I don't know, like the Langoliers, Ooh. which didn't age well. You know, so so uh, I I don't know. I wasn't initially impressed, even though I love you and McGregor. But I think it was at the Joker screening they did a, a more extended version of the trailer, and it looks fantastic. Yeah. And every trailer I've seen since then really has captured my imagination. I'm really excited to it see it. It looks too now. like if you if you liked the book, and you're going oh I you know I don't want to just see another book on film you know direct adaptation it looks like this is a in the same way the shining was so different from the the first book from what i got from the trailer it looks like this is going to be sort of like the a sequel to the shining the book and the shining the film it's it's going to be dr sleep as we know from the book but it's going to also have some elements of that first film to uh kind of make it more like a sequel for people who only know that story from the theater which is which is super smart oh, yeah. i think yeah, I, I was really excited by what I saw because it, to me, it was uh, the, the trailer promised me content that wasn't in the book that's going to be really, really cool. And I'm glad it's going that way. Agreed. And and ironically, that was sort of a, our thoughts on Dr. Sleep uh, and whether or not we're looking forward to it was one of our questions from the crypt. So should with uh, with no no further ado, should we just launch into our questions from the crypt? Absolutely. Questions from the Crypt. Greg Sparks asks, are we ever going to get a sequel to The Collection? What's The Collection? So do you remember the movie The Collector? No. Well, this is the sequel to The Collector. It's called Collection. And they've been promising a third one forever. Oh, hold, and hold on a second. Can I look it up before? Sure. Okay. You'll recognize it when the you collector? see it. The uh, Collector? I remember a film called Collectors about people that collect... Um, 
the memorabilia from serial and... killers. Like sometimes serial killers, while they're in prison, they make uh, artwork and stuff. And there's a film called Collectors about people who collect that stuff. No, it was like from the writers of Saw movies, uh, Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. Uh, Dave, you're just going to have to answer this one. I've never seen this well, mask or this guy. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea what this is. <laughs> well, the, they, there have been there are fans of the genre and of the series that have been waiting anxiously for a third. And so I wasn't sure, to, an, to, to answer Greg's question, I wasn't sure if there was going to be a third movie. Um, but I went to my most trusted website for horror news, bloodydisgusting.com. And there is, as of about six months ago, an article from John Squires that says that, in fact, a sequel to The Collector is happening and that Marcus Dunstan will be returning as director. So I don't know when exactly this again, this this article came out in May. Um, Presumably they are filming ish now. So maybe it's something that we can look forward to in 2020, a third movie from the Collection Collector series. Oh, I can tell it's going to be good because on the uh, promo poster they made for the Collector 3, uh, yeah. they took the E in Collector and they turned it into a 3. Which is always classic. <laughs> so that's you, know you know it's going to be going to be good. <laughs> what is this? I'm looking. There's like a, a so, so, okay, there's a film called The Collector and there's a film called The Collection. And yes. It looks like we've got a guy in a weird Cenobite mask that's sort of... He's got some aquariums that he keeps human body parts in. As one does. And and this is quality... There's a cult following for this. Everything, huh? That's right. That's right. That's why you got to take... You got to put your art out there (laughs) to dovetail off your your episode from last week. I don't know if I'm into this, man. (laughs) This is gross. (laughs) (laughs) I'll check it out. Right. Thank you for the question. And I'm going to even consider that question to be a uh, movie recommendation for me. So I will watch the collector and maybe even the collection and even maybe even the collect three tien <laughs> when it comes All out. Right, question number two. Sam V. Blair asks, what is your favorite vampire movie? Um, let's let the right one in. I no- remember I nominated that for the uh, tournament yep. of terror and uh, it's, it's so good. <laughs> Yeah, that was a crazy movie, man. Super violent. Well, I, I think I went through all this recommendation, but once again, in case you missed it, ultra violent, coming of age film, um, really great cinematography, really good writing, good soundtrack, and uh, you're, you're just going to love it. So go out there. And once again, we have to get the disclaimer. Do not watch the American version. Let me in. Watch the yes. Scandinavian film. Let the right one in. We believe in you guys. Let, Read let the, the right film in. That's right. You know, my favorite vampire movie didn't make, although my bracket had at least two vampire movies, it's not either of those. Although I do love Bram Stoker's Dracula and I love um, The Hunger. My favorite vampire film is The Lost Boys. Mm, proper film. Which didn't make it because we, we decided collectively to sort of exclude horror comedy. Um, but The Lost Boys is so fun. You got greased up saxophone players just sort of gyrating. You got cool mulleted teenager punk rocker metalhead art goth dudes like riding their little dirt bikes around the town terrorizing it. You got the cool twist at the end. Is Grandpa a vampire? I don't know. He probably is. Like, is his soda pop like really blood? There's so many questions of that film. We talked about the Joker talking about making you think for weeks after the lost boys has been making me think of these questions for years. The lost boys. It is so fun. And 
John, uh, Tom G. Mack and his Cry Little Sister soundtrack, which has been covered by everyone, including Marilyn Manson, is fantastic. Great song. It, it, the sequels. I was, I was just going to say, The Lost Boys showed us that the only thing more fun than being a vampire is being a vampire hunter. That's right. The Frog Brothers. Yeah, but it did. Uh, unique to that film, it shows how fun it could be to be a vampire. To play, That's <laughs> to right. play with those powers. And to... It was great, man. Joel Schumacher, before he put nipples on the bat suit, he was killing it in the vampire genre. And I, I'd love to see him revisit it because I don't really know what Joel Schumacher's been up to lately. I know he did a few episodes of um, House of Cards. I'm sure he's staying busy, but come on, man. I know. Listen, I, didn't, I wasn't as harsh at, on the second Lost Boys as some people, but the third one's not great, but it's in my collection. But we really need Joel Schumacher to come back and give us the Lost Girls, which was his proposed follow-up to the Lost Boys. Uh, you really want to see the Lost Girls, a bunch of teenagers listening to uh, Ariana Grande. And, um, you know, because I, I don't think it's going to... Well, because what was cool, hey, well, man, what was cool in the 80s was, you know, we were into that because it was the 80s. But, like, well, we were into it in the 90s because we just have never liked our generation's stuff we've, right. <laughs> we've always been like 15 years behind but um i i don't know i feel like lost girls these days you would have i mean think of some of the elements you'd have to include tiktok you know about tiktok Maybe. right you know what tiktok is don't you kind of Tic- it's like a video it's thing, like right? instagram but it's just videos and you can lip sync to music doesn't that sound terrible to you does that sound like something you'd never want to do <laughs> because that's what they're going to be doing in lost girls if they make it today yeah but i'm a 38 year old man and I'm a firm believer that not all movies are meant for me, but I'm just willing Fortnite? to see, take a you look at it. You want to see Fortnite in a vampire film? I don't even know what Fortnite <laughs> exactly. is. Exactly. Is like, uh, what's that? What was that one video game that kids used to play with that looked all like eight bit? Minecraft. Is this like Minecraft? Uh, uh, Minecraft is probably better than Fortnite. I don't know. I'm just saying, man. Know. Like, you're if they make Lost Girls, uh, you know, you're you're probably not gonna dig it. That's all I'm saying. Hey, listen, listen, listen. My youngest sister is about 23, 24 years old. She doesn't do any of those things as far as I know. It could be cool. I'm just saying it could be cool. Let's give it a shot. Joel, come back to the series. Give us Lost Girls. We'll give you the benefit of the doubt. We'll forgive you for the nipples on the bat suit. We'll forgive you for the bat cod piece in the George Clooney flick. Come on back home. We're here for you. And despite everything I just said, if you do make Lost Girls, do not set it in the goddamn 80s. TB doing that. Okay, third question. Ronald R. Lavalie Jr. asks, why doesn't Debbie Rashawn have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? If you don't know who Debbie is, Debbie is a Canadian scream queen of the likes of Varsity Blood, The Chainsaw, Sally Show, Splatter Disco, and she played Ness in Tromeo and Juliet. I've seen Tromeo and Juliet. That's, Listen, that's it. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so here's the answer to the question. I feel so uncool um, this episode. All the questions are for like hardcores. I guess I'm, <laughs> I feel like such, gotta get such with an it, amateur over here, man. <laughs> so listen, um, and I think you, you kind of answered your own question on Twitter a little bit. Yeah, it's politics, man. The way the star, the Hollywood stars work on the, on the Rock of Fame is you got to pay for them. You got you to gotta, you gotta, uh, appeal to the committee. Then you got to pay a bunch of money. And then they decided to give it to you. Here's the thing. There are, it's like the Oscars, right? It's like Sundance and Slamdance. There are our own places to celebrate the people that we love. Someone like Debbie, who's a scream queen, who's done all these indie horrors, you know, who's like 
obviously really loves the genre and she, you know that this Hollywood Walk of Fame is not for her. You know what I think we should do as a community? Let's create our own Walk of Fame. Let's create our Walk of Fame for the Sid Haigs and the the uh, you know Jamie Lee Curtises and um, you know if we if we want our horror icons to be recognized, let's not rely on mainstream to do it. We could do it ourselves. We can find our own way to honor these people daily, monumentally, however, digitally. So to answer your question, I don't know why she doesn't have one other than it's politics, man. It's the man keeping her down. What are you going to do? Where do you, you want to uh, set this Walk of Fame? Where's it going to be? In Hollywood? No, man. I don't think in Hollywood. Let's think about this. Like, Where would a good horror Walk of Fame be like what's a good town for that yeah like what's a town that needs to some way to drive up tourism because they have nothing else because that's probably what we're gonna have to find to do this <laughs> <laughs> um you know what like uh i i got an idea what about like tampa florida um what's going on in tampa i guess they got a football hot team. and humid and alligators yeah, I feel like Tampa is a good town to put a horror walk of fame. The weather will always be nice, if not a bit hot. Like, I feel like those people there would appreciate something like that, you know? Hmm. So let's let's do that. So 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 Ronald, let's let's work towards getting. Uh, uh, you know, isn't there a Hollywood in Florida? I have no idea. There is. There's a in Hollywood, Florida, is where this Hollywood horror walk of fame should be. Sorry, Tampa. You lost out. All right. Looking forward to that. All right. Well, well, uh, is there anything else we need to address on today's show? There's one more question. Oh, my God. Labalana Winters asks, how will you be spending Halloween this year? So our final question is from Labalana Winters ask, how will you celebrate Halloween this year? I am going to do the same thing I do every year. Cut my eyes out place them on my desk and go to parties sounds like a new metal song cut my, <laughs> cut my eyes, eyes out, out place on my no, desk know, that, i'm going to a party <laughs> that my halloween costume i always do when it's this time of year and it's been really busy and i haven't got to make one i just make it look with makeup like my eyes have come out and i put sunglasses on and then i just go around like that if anyone who has seen our logo that's that's matt's halloween costume yeah. those bloody eyes <laughs> listen you know what i'm gonna ask you right if I'm going to be a panda bear? When are you wearing... Yeah, when are you going as a panda bear? Yeah, it's coming, man. I'm getting the resources together. One of these days, I'm going to be a fat-ass panda curtain bear. Back. It's going to be amazing. Let me pearl the curtain back for people. I have known Matt since I was about 16 or 17 years old. Literally half my life. And in that time that I've known him, he has promised me year after year after year. Crazy Hands Matt has promised me that he will go as a panda bear for Halloween. And it has yet to happen. So I'm going to ask you publicly matt for to do me one favor yeah okay all right i'm gonna give you some time in in a mere year and a half i will be turning 40 okay so this is all i ask on the year of my 40th birthday okay in uh 2021 i would like for my birthday gift to be seven months late and to be you going as a panda bear for halloween okay i'll do that you all heard it it's locked Lock deal and contract. It's going to knock your socks off. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the One Bad Day Network. 
please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud and now on Spotify. 